today on the Jay Doherty Podcast. The 2020 race continues with the most recent NBC News debate being a breaking point for the Democratic Party. The candidates now like tearing each other apart. Mike Bloomberg comes on the stage but isn't welcomed. Elizabeth Warren ruthlessly attacks the billionaire former mayor. Bernie Sanders does his best to avoid attacks from fellow candidates. Joe Biden tries to prove that he still politically exists. Pete Buttigieg attacks Sanders and boasts his successes in Iowa and New Hampshire. And Amy Klobuchar partners with Elizabeth Warren while admonishing everyone else on the debate stage. All of this made for some amazing and highly rated television. Who won and why was this debate so gruesome? We'll answer all that and more in episode number 123 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Jay Doherty Podcast. And now, from Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. That's correct, everyone. Thank you very much for being here. It's episode number 123 of the Jay Doherty Podcast, Saturday, February 22nd, 2020, 1.35 p.m. as we come on the air from Chicago. Thank you very much for being here. There's so much going on right now in the world of politics. And, and you know, I actually was going to talk about a lot of a lot of different topics on this episode, but I felt it had to be necessary to talk about the most recent Las Vegas debate. It was by far the most consequential debate in this race so far, and it is going to be a large uh, determining factor of how the rest of the debates go, and the also how voter turnout happens. So it was a horrible night for the new man on the stage, Michael Bloomberg. It was a generally a very good night for Bernie Sanders, and, and it was horrible for Elizabeth Warren, and we can, we're going to get to all of it in a second, but I don't want to jump in too quickly. I want to re- refresh your memory on what has happened since that time, so or before that time. So the, the only primaries in this country that we've had so far in the 2020 race are Iowa and New Hampshire. Right now, today, the Nevada primary is happening, as I speak right now, on Saturday, February 22nd, uh, but the the way that Iowa and New Hampshire have turned out, Iowa, Bernie Sanders, uh, and Pete Buttigieg are leading. Pete Buttigieg is number one, Bernie Sanders number two, Elizabeth Warren three, Joe Biden four, Amy Klobuchar five, New Hampshire, Bernie Sanders took Pete Buttigieg's spot at the top with nine delegates. Pete Buttigieg had the same number of delegates, uh, but less percentage of the vote at 24.4%. Amy Klobuchar was in third place uh, with 19.8% of the vote, so ginormous jump for Amy Klobuchar. She did extremely well in New Hampshire. Elizabeth Warren, also 9.2%. Joe Biden, 8.4%. And Tom Steyer, 3.6%. So Joe Biden has been like fourth place at at best in these recent uh, uh, poll numbers. He was fourth in Iowa, fifth in New Hampshire. And, and he just really has not been doing as well as he has expected particularly within states that are majority white. These these states, and, and we talked about this very, 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 uh, to, to a great extent, the list, the demographics of voters in these states. I mean, New Hampshire is 93.2% white. Iowa is about the same. Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders have cultivated such a diverse movement, and, and when I say diverse, I mean including everyone, that th- those are the re- that's the reason that 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 Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg are getting so many voters. Now, Pete Buttigieg is probably not going to uh, stay, stick around for much longer. I hope he does. I think he is the most logically uh, sufficient candidate and also the smartest candidate by far out of all of the people standing on the stage. But uh, I just don't see it happening. It could. I don't know, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Anyway, the Nevada, the Nevada primary is happening right now. The reason this debate was in Las Vegas, as all debates previously, I mean, there was a New Hampshire debate, there was an Iowa debate. They're always in the states that have uh, a primary in, you know, one of the states, right? I mean, Super Tuesday gets a little bit difficult because there's like 50 trillion states in one in Super Tuesday, but uh, it is it is going to be very, very interesting to see what debates happen and how that's going to sway voter turnouts and who votes for who. Bernie Sanders, though, generally, even though the national polls polls don't say it, the state-by-state polls average put him as the national frontrunner. It is extremely likely, and I mean extremely likely, that he will be the nominee of the Democratic Party going against Donald Trump. If Bernie Sanders becomes the nominee of the Democratic Party, there's a very, very, very slim chance that Bernie Sanders will be the next president of the United States. I think if Bernie Sanders becomes the nominee, then Donald Trump will win re-election. 
The only person with the slightest chance, and again, this is you got to go through the the uh, the hurdles of the primary before you get into the general. The only couple people with the slightest chance of beating Donald Trump in the general election are Michael Bloomberg, Joe Biden, and Pete Buttigieg. That's it, and maybe Amy Klo- Amy Klobuchar. I mean, she she could appeal. She's actually on a very policy level more moderate than all of the candidates. She's, in my opinion, in in many people's opinions, just in practice, the most balanced, the most, I mean, she she's up there, very close tied to, to Buttigieg, in my opinion. She's one of the best candidates running right now. She has a lot of flaws, but, but generally, she's actually a very good candidate. Anyway, Bernie Sanders is the national frontrunners, and the, these high number, or sorry, the national frontrunner, and the high numbers for Sanders were not really a surprise to him, to his campaign, to the people voting for him. I mean, the candidates knew that Bernie Sanders was leading off the bat, especially considering that the state-by-state votes in the primaries and caucuses were just so high. He's been the one that's raised the most money by individual donors. He has arguably the, the strongest and largest movement of people from all different walks of life, and I mean all different walks of life. He is, he's just really captivated the non-establishment majority's attention and has also appealed to a crowd of all different ages, races, states, communities, and backgrounds. And those are all things that Bernie has done within the race itself. Mike Bloomberg, the new guy in this race, his principal accomplishment within this presidential race alone is spending $200 million. Now, I mean, Bernie Sanders within this race has more ethos than Michael Bloomberg does, but I suppose you could argue that Mike Bloomberg has, outside of this race, a lot more ethos than Bernie Sanders could ever dream of. The guy is has, Mike Bloomberg has probably one of the most impressive track records in the history of this country. He started a company from relatively humble beginnings. He built it up. He, he became a, a three-time mayor of a city. He started a news company and became a decabillionaire. So, you know, he did that all in one lifetime and generally by himself. And he also wasn't born on third base. So the guy has quite some ethos compared to especially Donald Trump and uh, particularly compared to Bernie Sanders. Anyways, uh, the first time Bloomberg had appeared on the debate stage since announcing his run, and he was the main target of the debate. He should not have been the main target of the debate strategically from other Democrats because I think Bernie Sanders probably planned that, look, I'm going to get pounded. The tall nail gets pounded in all these debates, so I'm going to get destroyed. If Mike Bloomberg were not on that stage, Bernie Sa- every single person on that stage would have gone after Bernie Sanders. If Mike Bloomberg were not on the stage, every single person would have gone after Bernie Sanders. So, you know, Bernie Sanders, while he has insane amounts of, of radical supporters and people who are, like, swear by his existence, there are a great number of people, as within all numbers, I mean, the, the higher numbers you have, the less loyalty you're going to have. So the other candidate on the stage um, who should have been focusing on swaying Sanders voters uh, to them, not attacking Bloomberg, a guy whose best national polls puts him relatively low considering how much money and experience he has. I mean, the guy who was in his right, the only guy that was in his right mind during the debate was Pete Buttigieg. And to be honest, it could have not gone better for Bernie Sanders. I mean, it was, it was a fabulous night for Bernie Sanders. And the candidates seem to think that Bloomberg is their biggest rival. And that's not good. It's actually Sanders. And they, they need to start realizing that pretty soon. Otherwise, Bloomberg will just spend, 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 spend. And there's a chance of Bloomberg becoming a little bit more prominent. I mean, he, every single YouTube video you watch, it's a Mike Bloomberg ad. So he's buying this exposure. He's buying people to recognize his name. And so there is a chance of, of changing how low Mike Bloomberg is right now in, in polls. I mean, he already has changed it. He was at 1%. He didn't even want to, you know, be a part of the Iowa caucuses. I mean, he was very, very, very low, and he's slowly growing. I think this debate, his mere existence on that stage helped him, even though his support ticked down by 3% as a result of, of his awful performance at the debate. I mean, I don't really even know how much more he can spend. That said, hyperbolically, I'm not trying to challenge Bloomberg, but, you know, he, he's certainly going to just spend, spend, spend. Let's talk about the policy of Bloomberg, though. So Michael Bloomberg was immediately, throughout this debate, the the subject of everyone's deflective attacks. Bernie Sanders had the first question of the night by Lester Holt. He immediately attacked Bloomberg uh, on his record with stop and frisk. Here is Mr. Lester Holt asking Sanders 
uh, this question. It was sort of a you ask the question being the moderator and I'll respond with whatever I want to say sort of question. So here is Mr. Holt. Senator Sanders, Sanders, the first question to you. Mayor Bloomberg is pitching himself as a centrist who says he's best positioned to win in November. Why is your revolution a better bet? In order to beat Donald Trump, we're going to need the largest voter turnout in the history of the United States. Doesn't answer the question. Uh, Mr. Bloomberg had policies in New York City of stop and frisk, which went after African-American and Latino people in an outrageous way. That is not a way you're going to grow voter turnout. All right. So the senator brings up stop and frisk. So I sort of understood what this means. And you saw that structure of of him answering the question, by the way. You heard that. It was like, okay, I'm going to use one broad sentence to answer a question that I'm going to deflect on the worst thing possible of the opponent. Right. Had nothing to do, generally, with the questions. It was a very broad question by Lester Holt, and Bernie Sanders answered the first sentence with a very broad question and then went to a very specific point in which he was not even asked about it. And it's good. I mean, there are people who just listen to the first part of the debate and then change the channel. So they see if they see Bernie Sanders saying, this guy, you know, uh, is, is, you know, implemented policies that... that did not benefit and in many ways discriminated against minorities, then, you know, they're not going to vote for him. But I wanted to learn more about stop and frisk because I sort of understood the concept uh, when I first heard about it, but I wanted to learn more about the actual policy and and also uh, the way that Bloomberg feels about it. And I found some interesting stuff, uh, interesting articles from the New York Times, actually. Um, there's a great article by Ashley Southall and Michael uh, Gold, in the New York Times called Why Stop and Frisk Inflamed Black and Hispanic Neighborhoods. They define stop and frisk by saying it's a crime prevention strategy that had uh, uh, been a staple of policing in the United States for more than 30 years before Mr. Bloomberg took office. It allows police officers to detain someone for questioning on the street in public housing projects or in private buildings where landlords request police patrols. So it's basically saying, look, if if I find you suspect, then you are going to be searched. And Bloomberg was incredibly, incredibly uh, questioned on this. And it was it was not good for Bloomberg at all. <laughs> uh, and people were going back, you know, I mean, in his record, trying to find discrepancies. And there are tons. There are tons of discrepancies because he's just very multifaceted as a person. Another New York Times article reads, At a new news conference in May 2012, when a reporter asked if he was bothered by how controversial Stop and Frisk was, Mr. Bloomberg said, quote, When you do polling, my understanding is that the polls show overwhelming support by the public for the tactics we've been using to bring down crime. There's always going to be someone who disagrees, and they have a right. But if you were ever to uh, do a balanced story, I think you'd find that it's a minority of people who don't like the tactic. He also said uh, many other things about... uh, you know, uh, stop and frisk. And the New York Times actually did a fact check when they talked about the polls when he said, my understanding is that people like it. The New York Times says Mr. Bloomberg went on to suggest the policy saved thousands of lives, though a study released the next year would find that only 6% of stops from 2009 to 2012 had resulted in an arrest and 0.1% in a conviction for a violent crime. He said that he would never, that he neither, uh, he nor the police commissioner, Raymond W. Kelly, would apologize for it. Actually, the exact quote was, nobody should ask Ray Kelly to apologize. He's not going to, and neither am I for saving 5,600 lives. He goes on in in many other speeches in 2012 uh, in his reign as mayor and talks about this policy. They'll have the links on the website, j-story.com. It's certainly a policy in which that grabs a lot of headlines for Buttigieg, or sorry, for Bloomberg and for Sanders, uh, you know, especially when they attack everyone. Uh, and, and it has such a it has such a, a hit close to home application. So that that's where it stands right there with that. And I think uh, Democrats are going to continue to use that offense on Bloomberg. We'll talk about uh, statistics within the debate in just one second. But first, did you know that you can listen to the J. Doherty podcast on the JD Media Network at j-doherty.com? All you have to do is go to j-doherty.com and you will see the most recent episode of this podcast, including this one up on the home screen. Plus, there are archives of every single show I've ever made. So if you want to listen to all that and more, go to j-doherty.com to learn more and sign up for my weekly newsletter. Okay, so the Las Vegas debate was super interesting because, as all debates do, they shaped the, the way that uh, existence was going to exist. No, I'm kidding. They, they, they shaped the, the support of people 
uh, of the candidates, right? And they, they there were some fluctuations in support. Bernie Sanders, again, it was a super good night for him because only by virtue of Michael Bloomberg's existence on that debate stage. He was pre-debate 28% uh, liked him, 30% liked him post-debate, according to a, a, a poll from Morning Consult, which has a 1% to uh, 2% margin of error. Bernie Sanders, 30% post-debate liked him. as So he gained 2% in terms of uh, debate, uh, support after the debate. Joe Biden, he stayed the exact same. Why did he stay the exact same? He's the only one of the entire in the entire race that stayed the exact same. And the reason is because he literally did not, he barely said anything the entire debate. He he, he was just, didn't say, ver- I mean, <laughs> he's, he sort of rendered himself irrelevant. Uh, and it's it's bad, but that's sort of where he said. He was at 19%, 19% before, he's at 19% now. Bloomberg, and we'll talk about his awful performance in a second, he went down 3%. That's more than anyone else on the debate stage, and, he, and that's running for office right now. He went down 3% from 20% to 17%. Elizabeth Warren went up 2% because she was just a a flamethrower throughout this entire thing. She was trying to burn down everyone to the ground and not even promote her own messages, but rather just push everyone else down. She went up 2%. Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar went each down 1%. So, Four minutes, and this is why I say uh, Elizabeth Warren was a total flamethrower throughout this entire debate. Uh, there, there was about four minutes into the debate, Elizabeth Warren, who is far and above, in my opinion, the worst presidential candidate besides Donald Trump right now. By, I mean, the, the worst Democratic candidate for president right now is Elizabeth Warren. She said this in hopes of restoring her place at the top of the polls. Remember, she took insane drops. She was in 18% in Iowa, and then she dropped half of that to 9% in New Hampshire. So, so she lost 50% of voters between state by state. I mean, they're not the same voters, but you know, she she lost in huge numbers, and she tried to regain this throughout the regain those numbers throughout the debate by basically just attacking. Others. I'd like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. (laughs) Democrats are not going to win if we have a nominee who has a history of hiding his tax returns, of harassing women, and of supporting racist policies like redlining and stop and frisk. Look, I'll support whoever the Democratic nominee is, but understand this. Democrats take a huge risk if we just substitute one arrogant billionaire for another. This country has worked for the rich for a long time and left everyone else in the dirt. Ah, okay. Well, so, Matt, I mean, that's a valid point, I think, generally, but that was not even four minutes into the debate, she just she just was, you know, wailing, trying to get the moderator to call on her. The first question was to Sanders, then it was going to be Bloomberg for a response, and then Elizabeth Warren throughout the entire thing, again, had nothing to, no application to her whatsoever, just wailing like, uh, you know, one of the, the mascots in front of a um, car dealership. And it was super scripted, I mean, she planned that out. The reason it hurt Bloomberg as much as it did is because she had absolutely no idea how to respond <laughs> to any of this. Because he had absolutely no idea how to respond to any of this, rather. He literally just sat back and took all of the attacks that he had and meagerly would fight back when the, when the water was a little bit calmer. He didn't even show annoyance with <laughs> Elizabeth Warren's accusations uh, when, he, when she was going off about this. I mean, his face was just like a very monotone, flat face. In fact, his accusations and his best defense was after the was succeeded by a scripted line going through his credentials. This was far and above probably the best single line or single combination of sentences in the debate. And for the purposes of being fair, I'm going to play the entire thing just because uh, the other 99% of what Bloomberg said uh, was poorly executed. So here is Mike Bloomberg sort of making the elevator pitch for why you should vote for him. I'm a New Yorker. I know how to take on an arrogant con man like Donald Trump that comes from New York. I'm a mayor, or was a mayor. I know how to run a complicated city, the biggest, most diverse city in this country. I'm a manager. I knew what to do after 9-11 and brought the city back stronger than ever. And I'm a philanthropist who didn't inherit his money, but made his money. And I'm spending that money 
to get rid of Donald Trump, the worst president we have ever had. And if I can get that done, it will be a great contribution to America and to my kids. Okay. Vice so, President uh, Biden. Uh, so that was that was the best part last night for Bloomberg, and it wasn't even that good. I mean, the reason it isn't it wasn't really that good is because the premise of his argument is that we need to get rid of Donald Trump. Not not that I'm the best guy to replace Donald Trump, but that we need to get rid of Donald Trump, which I agree with, but that is only half of the argument, and that's what Bloomberg should recognize. So I think Bloomberg has quite the axe to grind with Trump on a personal level. I mean, I'm sure they ran into a bunch of people, same people in New York, uh, and I'm sure Bloomberg is maybe just doing this to stick it to Trump. I don't know, but <laughs> he is spending like wild to try and get something from this. It drew some understandable criticism from Pete Buttigieg, the the half-and-half socialist, capitalist, progressive moderate, who has done pretty well so far, but is likely going to decline immensely in the upcoming primaries. Buttigieg had a really, really good line that pragmatized the debate situation in the long term. Um, and uh, But this, this was sort of his shining moment. And from here on, I think, after these recent uh, primaries, his campaign will slowly and sadly go down the tubes. I really don't want to see Buttigieg go, but I think... Unfortunately, the time will come very soon. Here is Pete Buttigieg saying a very, very good line, pragmatizing the entire debate. We could wake up two weeks from today, the day after Super Tuesday, and the only candidates left standing will be Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg, the two most polarizing figures on this stage. And most Americans don't see where they fit if they've got to choose between a socialist who thinks that capitalism is the root of all evil and a billionaire who thinks that money ought to be the the root of all power. Let's put forward somebody who actually lives and works in a middle-class neighborhood in an industrial Midwestern city. Let's put forward somebody who's actually a Democrat. Look. Okay. So (laughs) that's sort of interesting. Uh, And that was a really good moment, the capitalist socialist line. Because it does put it into perspective. I mean, you know, there's people who get really, like me, I get in the very micro, super details of politics and don't really look at the holistic motives of these of these candidates. And I don't think they do either. Another moment uh, that really helped, and in, in again, this is evidence that in terms of offense strategy, Buttigieg was the most well-equipped. He is a fabulous debater. He is just a talented public speaker, unlike many of the other candidates. Uh, but this 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 was probably the most well thought out blitz. Uh, it was when when Buttigieg quarreled with Sanders about their campaign's support of the working class. I just thought this was extremely uh, funny to watch. Here it is. And that's so what we are saying, Pete. Is maybe it's a time for the working class of this country to have a little bit of power in Washington rather than your billionaire campaign contrib- contributors. Hey, uh, all right, look. First of all, uh, Joe, I know. Look, my campaign is fueled by hundreds of thousands of contributors. Including 26 billionaires. Among the hundreds of thousands of contributors. And we've got to unite this country to deal with these issues. You're not the only one who cares about the working class. Most Americans believe we need to empower workers. As a matter of fact, you're the one who is at war with the culinary union right here in Las Vegas. Support than you have ever dreamed of. We can we have the support of unions all across this. Yeah, country. but the vision I'm putting forward has the support of the American people. Okay, that was, that was a great, great quarrel uh, from Buttigieg, and it was actually a, a good, good sort of hopeful line from Bernie Sanders for his own selfish reasons. So that's sort of funny. I mean, it was definitely a victory for Buttigieg. I'm not sure why he dropped one percent. Uh, maybe it was because he did try to attack very, very not smartly, very unintelligently. Uh, he tried to attack Bernie, Bernie Sanders supporters for being too mean on the internet. Okay, that, I mean, that's a ridiculous argument. Why don't, he should attack him on being a socialist, not, not having supporters who happen to be mean. I mean, you could say the same thing about Donald Trump. But we're not going to get into that because I don't think it's useful. But if he if he forgot about that and only responded on and only used these wittily lines, then I I think he would have done much better. Budo Judge, uh, the the other good line that he had, and this was again against his most similar rival, uh, Amy Klobuchar. He had a good moment indirectly when a moderator asked Amy Klobuchar about a recent article from the AP and an interview with Telemundo. And this article was was not publicized much in the early days of its release, uh, but it it was very important. And 
I'm glad they asked about it on the debate stage. In fact, Amy Klobuchar uh, was was on it, and I actually I'm going to play a snippet of of last week's episode in which I I talked about this amusing article from Telemundo and the AP. Um, and it's it's an article from the AP where they sort of they asked Tom Steyer, Amy Klobuchar, and Pete Buttigieg if they could name the president of Mexico. Right, Mexico is a ginormous country that the United States does business with. We're in a trilateral trade agreement with them. We have a huge border security uh, issue that is happening right now. Uh, we're literally neighbors with them to the south. <laughs> Mexico, Canada, are arguably the our two most powerful allies in the world. So it's sort of a good litmus test, right, to understand if you know the the leader of one of our most powerful allies. I don't want to sort of spoil what I was talking about in the previous episode, but here is me going over this AP article on episode number 122 of the Jay Doherty podcast, and I'm only playing this because you'll hear Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg quarrel over what I was discussing uh, on the debate stage. This is from the AP. Democratic presidential hopefuls Amy Klobuchar and Tom Steyer were stumped when asked during a televised interview in Nevada to name the next the Mexican president, right? I mean, this is a very good litmus test of, of foreign policy knowledge and something that they should all know. They should know the president uh, or the leader of almost every major country that, that the United States does deals with. I mean, there's a trilateral trade agreement <laughs> with the United States and Mexico. If you're running to, to, to sort of manage that deal and you don't know the guy that you're going to be negotiating with, you are, in effect, not qualified <laughs> to be president. So are any of these people qualified to be president by that definition? Probably not. Klobuchar, a three-term senator from Minnesota, responded, no. Not the first time. She remember she couldn't remember... Uh, Laura Kelly's name at the debate. Steyer, a billionaire businessman, replied, quote, I forgot. Buttigieg, the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, was the only of the three who knew the answer. Quote, Lopez Obrador, I hope, he said with a smile. So he didn't know. So by that effect, uh, Pete Buttigieg is the most intellectually competent uh, candidate to be the president of the United States. You asked Donald Trump that question in 2015 when he first announced there's absolutely no way on the planet that he would know that answer. <laughs> Just saying. Really, really funny. Uh, highly recommend you go read that article. The AP does really good reporting, and uh, hopefully you like this podcast. If All right, so that's, that's what I'm going to cut it off there from uh, 122 of the podcast. Now, Steyer... Uh, it was mentioned in that article. He was not on the debate stage, uh, but obviously Klobuchar was, and she was given the opportunity to respond, which no matter how good her response could be, it was automatically going to be a victory for Buttigieg, and it was a victory for Buttigieg. Here is how Amy Klobuchar <laughs> responded to this. This is just sort of awkward to watch, but it's pretty funny. My colleague specifically asked you if you could name the president of yes. Mexico and your response was no. Yes, that's right. That's Klobuchar. And I said that I made an error. Um, I think having a president that maybe is humble and is able to admit that here and there maybe wouldn't be a bad thing. Mayor Buttigieg, but it was, if you could let me, a good response. If you could. Yeah, look, I, I wouldn't liken this to trivial. I, I actually didn't know how many members were in the, the Knesset, so well, you got there me you there. Go. But you're staking your candidacy on your Washington experience. You're on the committee that oversees border security. You're on the committee that does trade. You're literally in uh, part of the committee that's overseeing these things, and we're not able to speak to literally the first thing about the politics of the country you, to ourselves. Are you trying to say that I'm dumb, mm. or are you mocking me here, Pete? I'm I saying that you shouldn't trivialize I made an error. People sometimes forget names. Oh, don't we know that? Oh, don't we know that some people forget names sometimes, including her. Of course, she forgot the Mexican president's name. She also forgot Laura Kelly's name, the governor of some place in this country, <laughs> and she brought her up unsolicited, uh, you know, no prompt in a prior debate when asked about uh, women in, in politics. You have to be competent. And when you look at the facts, uh, Michigan has a woman governor right now, and she beat a Republican, Gretchen Whitmer. Kansas has a woman governor right now, and she beat Chris Kobach. And her name oh. um, is, oh, no. I'm very proud to know oh, her, and her name is um, uh, Governor Kelly. Thank you. Oh, boy. Okay, so that, that's where it ended right there. So while Klobuchar is actually a really good candidate, one of the best by far, she she just lacks the drive and the public speaking ability to be, uh, in effect, a good president. And I just feel that way. Personally, I think she, she threw out a bunch of hypophoras at herself, trying to back herself up like she knows things. That's what you heard uh, Buttigieg ask about 
uh, Israel, or, you know, reference Israel and and their system there. He, he so Amy Klobuchar in trying to validate herself and the people and her supporters and maybe people who were trying to come at her, she threw a bunch of hypophoras at herself in order to try and uh, you know uh, prove that she knows trivial knowledge about other countries. And it was sort of just more of a cringe fest than you know a goal for validation. Uh, just just by virtue of the way uh, she she sort of delivers it. Here is. Uh, Amy Klobuchar. And I first want to say greetings to President Lopez Obrador. You know, how many members are there in the uh, Israeli Knesset? 120. Who is the president oh um, of Honduras? Hernandez. Oh my God. Okay. So, I mean, isn't that crazy that she's throwing out trivia questions at herself that are clearly scripted in order to try and prove some validity of her, you know, knowledge? So that all those things was just a, a tremendous victory for Buttigieg, but it wasn't all good for Buttigieg. Elizabeth Warren attacked him pretty harshly, as she did with literally every single candidate on the debate stage, except for maybe Joe Biden because he just doesn't politically exist anymore. Uh, not sure really what what Elizabeth Warren's attack on Pete Buttigieg was about, but I, I mean, just listen to Warren, the candidate spewing lies and being hypocritical while doing it about uh, Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, and. Uh, and Amy Klobuchar. But we need to get everybody's health care plan out here. Uh, Mayor Buttigieg really has a slogan that was thought up by his consultants to paper over a thin version of a plan that would leave millions of people unable to afford their health care. It's not a plan, it's a PowerPoint. Script. And Amy's plan is even less. It's like a post-it note, insert Ooh. plan here. Bernie right. has started very much uh, has a good start, but instead of expanding and bringing in more people to help, uh, instead his campaign relentlessly attacks everyone who asks a question or tries to fill in details about how to actually make this work. And then his own advisors say, eh, probably won't happen anyway. Look at the hypocrisy in that. She says, and then Bernie Sanders goes and attacks everyone. And she's literally attacking everyone on the debate stage while she's saying that. I mean, you have to sort of, she has to see that herself, right? She's smart enough to know that, maybe, maybe not. Buttigieg wittily responded, best out of all of those three who got attacked, uh, with this very, very amusing statement. And somehow Microsoft Word and PowerPoint came at the debate last night. Here's Pete Buttigieg responding to that PowerPoint comment about his healthcare plan from Elizabeth Warren. I'm more of a Microsoft Word guy. And if you look at my plan, uh, I don't know if there are any PowerPoints on it, but you can definitely find the document on PeteForAmerica.com. And you'll see that it is a plan that solves the problem, makes sure there is no such thing as an uninsured American, and does it without kicking anybody off the plan that they have. This idea that the union members don't know what's good for them is the exact kind of condescension and arrogance that makes people skeptical of the policies we've been putting forward. Yep, exactly. Perfect. Perfect response from Buttigieg once again. It was not good to hear the attack, but it was, it was good to hear his response. And the question is, why did she do this? Well, I mean, and why why is healthcare the main such a huge focus in these debates? I mean, there there is always a a dedicated segment, a dedicated video, and a dedicated uh, you know entire platform for candidates to address and elaborate on their healthcare. Why why is that? It's because it matters to the people. Everyone needs it, and polls show that beyond the simple need for healthcare, everyone. Uh, wants to learn more about it. There was a Nevada caucus poll uh, conducted by 8 News Now and Emerson College polling, which asked, when it comes to deciding for whom you will vote for president, which of the following is the single most important issue in deciding for whom you will vote for? Healthcare, 27.7%. And that's a margin of error of 4.7%, but still, 277 Environment, 23.7. Economy, 19.6. Social issues, 9.8. Impeachment, 7.7. Education, 4.7. Immigration, 3.1. Gun control, 2. And foreign policy is (laughs) 1.8. So I don't know. There's certain things in there that I'm sort of surprised at. But that is specifically within Nevada. According to the statewide poll, which questioned 425 people, 27.7% said healthcare was the single most important issue. Uh, the environment was a major concern, and also was the economy. 
7.7% of people care about impeachment. That's sort of surprising. And only 4.7% cared about education. 3.1% about immigration. 2% on gun control. Wow. And foreign policy and terrorism, 1.8%. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Uh, so, yeah, that, that's where it stands right now. It's, it's funny, actually, how Elizabeth Warren is saying that she shouldn't attack everyone, right? I mean, we, I said this before. She's just attacking everyone. All the balderdash from Warren was generally perceived by me and by others on the stage to be the, the, the functional equivalent of a squawking buffoon exhorting statistical popularity. But the one thing that did ruffle some feathers post-debate was when Warren mentioned non-disclosure agreements that, that Bloomberg had with uh, what she sort of alluded to be female employees. We don't really know much detail about them, or we didn't know much detail about them when, when this was said. Uh, but here is uh, Warren confronting Bloomberg in one of her many attacks throughout this debate once more. The mayor has to stand on his record. And what we need to know is exactly what's lurking out there. He has gotten some number of women, dozens, who knows, to sign non-disclosure agreements, both for sexual harassment and for gender discrimination in the workplace. So, Mr. Mayor, are you willing to release all of those women from those non-disclosure agreements so we can hear their side of the story? Okay, so brace yourself for the worst response on NDAs in this entire debate. Non-disclosure agreements. How many is that? None of them accuse me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like the joke I told. Oh, and let me just po- and let me point. There's a be- agreements between two parties that wanted to keep it quiet, and that's up to them. Okay. They signed those agreements, so, and we'll live with it. So okay. wait. So that that's sort of a lame response, and, and I mean he's just I don't know if he's not built for politics anymore. I don't know what this deal is, but that was not a well thought out response, uh, particularly within the joke line. I mean that was just n- not necessary. Uh, uh, and of course Warren is playing this as all candidates should if they want to defeat Bloomberg, it, you know, as as some sort of scandalous endeavor. But NDAs for for the rich and powerful, and frankly, almost all corp- large corporations are commonplace. I mean, there are NDAs everywhere, not just for scandalous endeavors, which seems to be the case here with Bloomberg, but there are hundreds, if not thousands, of companies that request employees to sign NDAs to to ensure that, you know, trade secrets, uh, copyrighted information, and, like, intellectual property isn't leaked before a product is released. I mean, how do you, how do you think Apple keeps their products so secret for so long? Uh, you know, of course... Bloomberg should have said that. So you should have said that they are commonplace within our company. Everyone signs them. It is just a matter of what we do. It is our line of work. Most companies, and maybe you could even bring some logos and have a statistic about how many people sign NDAs. But no, he had to back down and take it. Uh, so yeah, that was an awful response. Probably the worst uh, 50, what, how many seconds was that? 50.11 seconds for Bloomberg in the entire debate. He, he sort of answered the question without any motivation or elaboration on what he was talking about. Just crazy. But he bounced back in the later part of the debate uh, quite amazingly. And strategically, he released an edited uh, video on Twitter of him saying, uh, asking rhetorically, did or maybe maybe not rhetorically, did anyone on the stage found you know create a business from the ground up and build it to be billions of dollars? And why are you qualified to comment on the business person's needs when I have built, I'm the only one on the stage, who has built a business? Here is Bloomberg asking what he said uh, on the debate stage, uh, sorry, asking uh, the, of his fellow candidates on the debate stage if, he's ever, if they've ever started a business. And, and, and it's edited by his campaign team very cleverly to include some cricket sounds <laughs> afterwards to illustrate how their deafening silence was so perturbing to him. I'm the only one here that I think that's ever started a business. Is that fair? And then they have some sound effects of people. Yep, those are all the candidates. It it's probably helps to see the video, but you get the idea, right? Yeah, so it's sort of funny. Uh, <laughs> and, and, then, and then we have the real showstopper. Boomberg attacked Sanders for being a self-proclaimed democratic socialist while being a multimillionaire who happens to own three houses. It's pretty funny stuff, isn't it? And in a very amusing defense from Sanders, here, here's here's what he says. I believe in democratic socialism okay, for no. working people, not billionaires. Healthcare for all, okay, educational so, opportunity all right, Senator, for all. Senator, thank you. Mayor Bloomberg, would you like to... The question all, was about socialism. What a wonderful country we have. The best-known socialist in the country happens to be a millionaire with three houses. What I miss here? Well, you're... 
notice that I work in Washington, House One. That's the first problem. Live in Burlington, House Two. That's good. And like thousands of other Vermonters, I do have a summer camp. Forgive me for that. But, Where is your home? But, which tax? Which tax haven? New do you York, have your home? New York City. Thank you very much. Yeah, right, and I pay all, all my home. taxes, I'm and I'm happy to do it because I get something for it. Oh, the balderdash. Very, very funny. Uh, so that's where it stands right now. Bernie Sanders, I wanted to fact check this, right? I mean, they, you have to you have to fact check these these things about the luxurious life of modern politicians. Bernie Sanders lives in Burlington, Vermont, in quite the lavish estate, might I add. They purchased it for $405,000 in 2009. The two-story property was built in 1981, remains the couple's main address. If you want to look at this, it has a pool, a pool house, an entire uh, separate house. I mean, it's a very, very lavish uh, home that they live in when they're claiming to be uh, democratic socialists. And he's also happened to be a multimillionaire, by the way. Uh, Bernie Sanders also lives in Washington, D.C., in an almost $500,000 house, and he also, as he mentioned there, owns a summer camp in Vermont. So he does own three houses, right? And he claims to be a socialist. I mean, it doesn't look good, and it's a fact. Most most people uh, do own, I mean, they, they have to own a house in Washington, and they have to own a house in wherever their constituents are, right? But it was just it was just funny to hear to hear what he had to say. Bloomberg owns thousands and trillions and billions and millions of properties. Oh, that's all one number, by the way. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But he owns his main residence is 17 East 79th Street in New York. It's now worth 17 million dollars, according to Zillow. And over the past decade, Bloomberg has been gobbling up neighborhood properties, purchasing purchasing apartments in 19 East 79th Street, and combining the floors to create a mega mansion. He owns 610 Park Avenue, apartment 5B, 10 Day Road, Armonk, New York, 39 and 61 Hilltop Drive. Uh, in North Salem, New York, 119 Whites Lane, Southampton, New York, which is a ginormous estate. Stokes Bay Estate in Bermuda, 292 East Meadow Road in Colorado, Four Shane Walk in London, another home in the, in London, and uh, another uh, ginormous estate for uh, $11 million, sprawling horse ranch in Florida for his daughter Georgina Bloomberg, who is a professional esquitarian. 13808 Fairlane Court, Wellington, Florida. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> he doesn't just live in New York. The guy lives quite the lavish life, but at least he's blatant about that, how he's a capitalist and how he, he is a philanthropist and how he does good things for the world, and he uses the capitalist system in order to enrich himself and in order to enrich, and to enrich others, ethically and legally, we, we must assume. It's sort of funny how this was made an issue by the billionaire capitalist. It goes back to something that I actually recently saw about wealth and who controls what is in the world, and a listener uh, sent back this feedback comment that I received at a text at 312-625-8492. I wanted to include this. I'm not sure if they came up with it, but it was it's certainly a, a good quote. Uh, it was a comment that said, quote, can't wait for the billionaire dollar media, the billion dollar media corporation owned by millionaires to endorse the millionaire who tells us how bad millionaires, billionaires, and corporations are. Right? I mean, it's a cycle of hypocrisy. I saw this other, uh, also this amusing snippet in Axios the other day from the CEO of Axios, Jim Vandehei, which says, quote, billionaire Michael Bloomberg is duking it out with billionaire Donald Trump, often on billionaire Jack Dorsey's Twitter and in ads on billionaire Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook, all chronicled in billionaire Jeff Bezos's Washington Post. So it is indeed a, an incestuous cycle of wealth, and I really don't think that socialism is the answer to sort of curb that insane gap between the rich and the poor. It is certainly something that we need to acknowledge, but I think capitalism can do a heck of a lot more for people domestically and and abroad to increase uh, you know participation and increase dollars in your pocket for people everywhere around the world. I think it is there are tax laws. There need to be more repercussions on the rich. There need to be much stronger taxes on the rich, but I think you can sort of tone down the the promotion of rich people in the capitalist society without totally abandoning it and switching to the most radical thing that has ever been exist that has never been implemented and has ever existed. So, I mean, socialism has, but uh, communism has not, and it will never happen. But yeah, anyway, I don't think socialism is the answer at all.
Uh, so I guess where do we go from here, right? What's the viewership, the next steps in 2020? So the viewership for this debate was actually the best that, that has ever existed. It was ranked extremely well, and we're going to start to see an uptick in numbers of voters and an uptick in number of people who are watching this. Incredible ratings for NBC uh, in the ninth Democratic debate of 2020. Nearly 20 million people watched the debate on NBC and MSNBC on Wednesday night. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the 19.66 million viewers for the two-hour telecast breaks the previous Democratic primary record of 18.1 million by a sizable margin. The previous mark uh, was set in June 2019 for night two of the first Democratic debate carried by NBC, MSNBC, and Telemundo. The debate also averaged 417,000 streaming viewers, bringing the total average just above 20 million. Uh, 5.31 million in 25 to 54, just ahead of the 5.3 million for the June debate, 4.26 million in the 18 to 49 demographic across the two networks. Again, these are huge advertising demographics that they were able to achieve. NBC had slightly more than 12 million viewers, while MSNBC's audience of 7.61 million was its third largest ever behind a 2010 Olympic hockey game, which had 8.2 million, and a 2000 Democratic par- uh, primary between Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, which had uh, almost 8 million at 7.7 million. The record uh, audience for a primary debate for either uh, major party remains 24 million viewers on Fox News for the first Republican debate of the 2016 cycle. That one where Trump said Rosie O'Donnell, or only Rosie O'Donnell. That's sort of funny. So, yeah, extremely uh, well done debate. I mean, almost 20 million people watched it. And there's, you know, a lot to come, right? I mean, there's still so many primaries. We have uh, coming up Super Tuesday. We have, obviously, Nevada today, and then South Carolina, and then we have Super Tuesday, uh, which, you know, includes so many states. And then March 10th, we have Idaho, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, and Washington. Seven days later, Arizona, Florida, Illinois, and Ohio will vote. And then on March 24th, Georgia will vote, and then April 4th, Alaska, Hawaii, Louisiana, Wyoming, April 7th, Wisconsin, April 28th, Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, May 2nd is Kansas, 5th, Indiana, 12th, Nebraska, West Virginia, 19th, Kentucky, and Oregon, June 2nd, we have District of Columbia, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, South Dakota, and then off to the general. I mean, we'll, we'll have an idea of who, who will become the nominee. In fact, we sort of already do have the idea that Bernie Sanders will likely become the nominee, but, you know, it'll sort of be a confirmation of, of what we already believe throughout these upcoming primaries and these upcoming debates. Some new information also that I want to briefly mention. <laughs> somehow, there is a report that said that Russia is somehow trying to be involved within Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. Uh, this came out a Friday at, you know, 3 p.m. Th- Friday, I mean, right before, you know, everyone is going to go to, you know, start their weekend, right? I, I don't know what this was, but according to the Washington Post, U.S. officials have told Senator Bernie Sanders that Russia is attempting to help his presidential campaign as a part of an effort to interfere with the Democratic contest, according to people familiar with the matter. It is not clear what form of Russian assistance uh, has taken U.S. prosecutors found in a Russian effort in 2016 to use social media to boost Sanders' campaign against Hillary Clinton, part of a broader effort to hurt Clinton, sow dissension in the American electorate, and ultimately help help Donald Trump. So, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders, somehow he's now involved with the Russians. <laughs> Bernie Sanders doesn't want to be involved with the Russians. In fact, he, he was asked about that report and what he, was, he learned in, in this briefing uh, at an airport recently. Here's what he said. It was not clear what role they're going to play. We were told that Russia, maybe other countries, are going to get involved in this campaign. Uh, and look, here is the message to Russia. Stay out of American elections. And what they are doing, by the way, the ugly thing that they are doing, and I've seen some of their, you know, their tweets and stuff, is they try to divide us up. Exactly, that's what they're trying to do, but on a more broad level, they're trying to destroy America. And the reason they're doing this is to show that they can. They're just flexing their muscles on America's existence. With no really, I mean, they want a, a you know, doofus in the White House. The one that they have right now, but they don't, you know, the, the, the general reason they do this is to show that they can. Anyway, that's, that's where it stands right now. It's a re- really interesting sort of 
Uh, idea takeaways from this episode include the fact that Bernie Sanders will likely become the nominee of the Democratic Party, uh, that Mike Bloomberg's debate performance was horrible, but that really will probably will not deter him in the long run, uh, and that Amy Klobuchar does not know how to remember names, and hopefully she will remember how to how to uh, you know remember important names of prominent figures in this fine world that we live in at some point in the relatively distant future or near future. Eh, it's up to her. Ah, so much to talk about, and we're going to be back covering it all. We'll have special coverage of Super Tuesday, South Carolina, as well as everything that we have coming up in the 2020 presidential race. There is just so much happening. And we'll have also a uh, discussion on the debates. This was a very good episode. We talked only, normally I do two topics. We only talked about one topic today. Let me know if you like this format, if you want to hear the 2020 uh, commentary on this race and so many other things and upcoming episodes of the Jade Doherty Podcast. I'd be happy to do it. Happy to continue doing it. If you don't like it, let me know. You can uh, type in your comments at comments at j-dirty.com. All you have to do is email comments at j-dirty.com. The show's phone number is 312-625-8492. You can see show notes and episode highlights at j-dirty.com. Clips and highlights at thedirtyfiles.com. Thank you so much for listening. This is the J. Doherty Podcast. Podcast is hosted, produced, edited, and mixed by Jay Doherty. The Jay Doherty Podcast is a JD Media Network production. Copyright Jay Doherty 2020. Make sure to listen to other JD Media Network productions like the JDRC Politics Podcast for discussions on international politics or the Weekly File Podcast for all the news, just the facts. Learn more and hear more of this content at j-doherty.com or view archive clips and show highlights at thedohertyfiles.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. For all the latest world and national news on tech technology, politics, and more. Listen live to the Jay Doherty podcast on j-doherty.com.